get to resume our study through the book of Ecclesiastes today. And so we've already uh, discovered over the past several weeks many things, uh, such as that we, we already learned from this chapter that it's better for us to, to live with contentment. And that's in verses 4 through 6. Verses 7 through 12, we learned that it's better for us to work in partnership with other people. In other words, uh, companionship is better than isolation. Then here, the preacher makes another helpful comparison at the end of this chapter. And we discover that it's better for us to lead and to live our lives with a teachable spirit. In our section here this morning from verses 13 through 16, Uh, The preacher uses a comparison to show that it's better to to lead with a teachable spirit than it is to be proud and unteachable. So picking up in verse number 13, the comparison goes something like this. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. This verse implies that the foolish king at one time did know how to receive and take advice. But eventually, he just stopped being teachable and refused to receive instruction. And so one of the lessons of the story is that we need to persevere in wisdom. Wise behavior during one stage of life does not necessarily guarantee wise behavior in another stage of life. So in the illustration that we're about to read this morning, we're going to see a story that teaches two major truths. One, the instability of political power. And two, the fickleness of popularity. And so the king in the story had at one time listened to advice, and had ruled wisely. But as he got old, he refused to continue to receive instruction. One of the things that this story tells us is that wealth and position are no guarantee of success. Just as poverty and a seemingly failure is no barrier to achievement. The key in life is the pursuit of wisdom. And so now he's going to tell a story to illustrate his point in verse 13. And so the story goes like this, for he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. There is no end to all the people to all who were before them. And even the ones who will come later will not be happy with them. For this too is vanity and striving after wind. This passage illustrates the moral of verse number 13. And the moral is it's better to be poor and wise than it is to be powerful and a fool. Why? Well, because power influence, prestige, they're all transitory, which is to say they're all temporary, they're all short-lived. Now now many attempts have been made to try to connect this story with an actual historical event. 
Now, I personally believe that the story from 14 through 16 is allegorical rather than historical. Many people have attempted to try to make a connection. There are those, we talked about this many, many weeks ago. There, there are those that believe that, that Solomon is the author of this book. And so if that's the case, then we know that, that Solomon is not talking about himself in this story. Why? Because he was raised in the royal palace, not in poverty. Others have, have attempted to, to try to make the connection that, well, maybe it's talking about uh, King David and it made that transition from being a, a shepherd to the king. But that's not what this story says. The story mentions a prison, not a, not a field. And so with that in mind, some have even uh, said that, oh, it sounds more like the, the life of, of Joseph uh, rather than David or, or Solomon. And in addition to this, the, the Hebrew text is ambiguous at crucial points. And so it's unclear. That's why I believe it's more allegorical than historical. And the text is a bit confusing in some of its transitions. And as you read through it, uh, uh, there's a struggle to say whether or not is this story about two people or is it about three? Is it about two characters, that of a foolish old king and a, a poor but wise young person? Or are there three characters in this story? The foolish king, the young wise person, and a second individual that appears. So what is clear is that this story reveals a principle that has been duplicated a million times throughout history. And that principle is that success, advancement, power, popularity are all fleeting. And those who look for permanent status will be disillusioned and frustrated. Recognizing that the transitions of the story can be somewhat hard uh, to follow, I'm going to try to explain uh, what's happening in this story. Starts off, we see a young man who unexpectedly rose to power, taking the place of the king who had ruled before him. And though he was born into poverty, and though he was at one time imprisoned, this young man rose to the highest office in the land. And so this new king ruled over a vast empire. There seemed to be no end to the people who followed him. And yet even the new king could not rule forever. Taken literally, which is the position I hold, verse number 15 refers to a second youth, a second lad, which, which now appears to be this new king's eventual successor. So whether or not this is the right way to read this verse, verse number 16 makes it clear that one day this king, just like every king, will soon be forgotten. Verse 16 says, There is no end to all the people, to all who were before them, and even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him. Part of the lesson that we see here is that fame and popularity are fleeting. No matter how popular a ruler is, 
the day will come when someone else will take their place and their previous glory will fade into the distance. In the end, everyone turns out to be expendable. Everyone is replaceable. The old king may be past his prime, but the young upstart will not rule and reign forever. Reminding us not to put too much stock into earthly positions, either our own or someone else's. There's more to it. I have heard the narrative play out my whole life. And I know it's going to play out again here in the next year or so. And that narrative goes something like this. This election cycle is the most important election in the history of our nation. Have you heard that before? The thinking goes something like this. The hope of our nation rests in the electing of the right politicians who will establish and enact the right policies and laws. But as history has revealed, that narrative has been proven to be untrue time and time again. Think about it. Ancient Israel had the right laws. They were ruled and governed by God's perfect law. How did that work out? Building a nation on God's law is not going to change America. Because laws don't change the human heart. Only Jesus can do that. Only the Gospel can change lives and change the course of this nation. Only Jesus can give us meaning and fulfillment in this life. Everything else is empty. Of no value. Of no worth. It's meaningless. And so there's, there's another lesson that's to be learned here. Of all the contrast between these two kings, whether it's youth versus age, poverty versus uh, wealth, or it's wisdom versus foolishness, uh, the most important is their attitude towards advice. Uh, the old king no longer knew how to take advice. In the earlier days, he had listened to his advisors and was willing to receive instruction, but now he relied completely upon himself. And so the story stands as a warning to old believers and an encouragement to newer ones. We usually think uh, age and gray hairs are, are what reveals wisdom. And often it does. Or even the lack of hair. Perhaps it might. But whether someone is young or old, the wisest believers are the ones that will cling to the Word of God. The wisest believers are the ones that will seek to allow God's Word to shape and direct their lives for as long as they live. It was when describing his conversion to faith in Christ, it was John Calvin 
who said that, that God subdued his mind and brought it into a teachable frame. And that's good. As believers in Christ, may we truly be and truly remain a teachable follower of Jesus Christ. May God grant each and every one of us a, a teachable heart, a teachable mind, so that we will be ready and prepared to serve God and to serve one another as we seek to glorify Him in the making of disciples of Jesus Christ. And so although the identities of these characters in this story may be unknown, right? there are truths from the text that can be known. Truths like, it is better to be poor but wise rather than rich and a fool. It's better to listen and adhere to the Word of God than it is to ignore and neglect His Word in our lives. We learn that people are fickle. Power is fleeting. Popularity is fading. The king who's adored today will be condemned tomorrow. Today's hero is likely to become tomorrow's villain. And when you think of it, it was only a matter of days when the people went from shouting Hosanna to crucify him. We learned that no one can please everyone at all times. It's impossible. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, is the saying. And for those that, that find their identity in their popularity or who seek their identity in, in what other people think about them, if that's the case, what will end up happening is that that individual's priorities and goals will often become twisted and distorted because they're trying to please the wrong people. As believers in Christ, we should not find our identity in what other people think about us. Our identity is not rooted in our recognition or our popularity. No, our identity is rooted in our value to God and who we are in Christ Jesus. And in spite of our sins and in spite of our repetitive failures. God loves us. He values us. We matter to Him. He gave His only Son to die for us. And this is what truly matters. This is what makes us special. In Christ, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. There's no greater position to be. There's no greater identity for one to hold. You're either a son or a daughter of the Most High God based upon faith in Jesus. That's all that matters. Those that seek their value in position or in status will never be satisfied. They are striving for something that cannot be attained. 
They're chasing after something that can never be caught. And so once again, returns to the refrain. The, the preacher gives us the same conclusion. He says it's all vanity. Striving after wind. No matter where he went. No matter what aspect of life he studied. The preacher has learned and is sharing with us an important lesson from the Lord. Going back to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. When he looked up, when he looked up, he saw that God was in control of life and he balanced its, its varied experiences. It's all controlled by the sovereignty of God. When he looked within, in chapter 3, verses 9 through 14, when he looked within, he saw that man was made for eternity. And that God will make all things beautiful in their time. When he looked ahead from chapter 3, verse 15 to chapter 4, verse number 3, when he looked ahead, he saw the last enemy. The enemy of death. Death is the inevitable end to all of our lives. Then as he looked around here in, from verse 4 all the way through verse 16, when he looked around, he understood that life is complex. It could be difficult and not so easy to explain. But one thing is sure. No matter where we look, we'll see trials and problems and, and people who could really use encouragement. That's why we're reminded that better to be together than to live in isolation. And those that seek their value and position and status just won't be happy. You'll never find it. It'll never be attainable. And so, they'll always be prone to do whatever is necessary in order to be liked, valued, approved, or accepted by other people. That's a dangerous place to, to be. When you're trying to find your value and worth and what other people think, that you're going to be prone to do things to receive their praise, to receive their recognition, to receive their approval. And in the pursuit of their approval, it is very likely that you'll live a life uh, that displeases the Father. Why? Because we're seeking the wrong approval. We're seeking approval from others rather than approval from God. And pleasing God does not mean that we despise or, or, or other people. Like, like we don't value them or they don't matter. That's not what that means at all. I mean, think about it. The Son of God Himself, that He came not to be served, but to serve, and He gave Himself as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul, he's the one that said, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not look merely at your own interests, but also look after the interests of other people. Jesus 
said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. That's if you have love for one another. If you hear nothing else, may you hear this. Living a life that seeks to honor and please God does not release us from relentlessly and sacrificially loving other people. It doesn't release us from that responsibility. Ah, but it does release us from the tyranny of of needing other people's approval or the, the fear of being rejected by other people. It does release us of that. And that is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful place to be in life. Understanding that, that we were made to glorify God and to make His glory known. That's our goal. That should be what drives us and motivates us in life. right? And so may the Holy Spirit work within us and through His Word showing us how we're to live and what we're to do with our lives. Knowing that as long as we can draw breath, then we have a purpose We are value to God. He loves us. He gives us His Spirit to be used for His glory. And so as long as we live, may we remain teachable, which requires humility. It requires willingness and cooperation on our part. So may this church be a church that that loves instruction, that longs to be in God's perfect law that that return to it time and time again studying it memorizing it praying through the scriptures so that we can be strengthened so that we can be further equipped to live a life that honors and glorifies our father and if you're here today and you've been searching for joy and peace in the wrong places may today be the day that you just stop Give it up. Because you're chasing for something that you'll never catch. Give that up. Submit and surrender your life unto the Savior. And there you will find peace, joy, contentment, purpose, and meaning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church, for the people. For your word. And God, I pray that we would all be honest about what drives and motivates us in life. Are we motivated? Are we chasing after the wrong things? Or are we truly focused on, on seeking to please you in all that we do and all that we say? So God, in this time of response, I pray that, that we would make decisions and commitments that would honor and glorify you. So God, help us. Help us to be honest. Help us to be real. May your Spirit move among us in a way that honors and glorifies you. Father, I'm extremely thankful for this church, for the work that you're doing in our lives, and for what's to come. Father, help us. Help us to long to be obedient to your word, into your will. And may we 
shut out the noise of the temptation to find approval in others. But may we be driven to please You in everything. Help us, Father. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.